Luke chapter 12. You grab your copy of Scripture. Open to the Gospel of Luke, the 12th chapter. We are going to do the opposite of what we did last Sunday morning, and that is we're going to look at one passage of Scripture. Now, it may take longer, but we're going to look at one passage of Scripture. I'm not making any promises, but one verse in Luke chapter 12. As we just sort of uh, think together about Jesus and about this season, about how easy it is to get frustrated around Christmas time, how we don't want to get caught up in all these other things and get distracted by what we know really matters and what should be at the center of our attention and what all of this is supposed to be about. But it's hard. It's as if maybe uh, at Christmas we celebrate the gift of Jesus. We celebrate the fact that there is a gift, that, a, that God sent a gift and we received the gift. But it's as if we failed to open the gift, as if we failed to take advantage of the gift. It's as if we maybe got distracted by other things or we did open the gift at one time in our life. But then we started sort of going on to the next thing or, you know, we got tangled up. And here's, here's where we get off track. We fail to remember or to realize that this gift, once opened, that every time you look at it, and every time you turn it and look at a different angle and the sun hits it a different way and you look at it from a different place and you begin to see new things about it over and over and over and that it never ends. When you think about Jesus, when you think about what, what happened, God sends His Son to dwell among men. Now, that's unbelievable in and of itself. But then you go further and you, you begin to think about what Jesus accomplished, what Jesus said about why He was here and what this is all about and what He promised us as His children. And when you really begin to dive into Scripture with this frustration in your heart that I just I just want Christmas to be pure Lord this year I just want it to be about you I'm in a minute I'm, I'm gonna call your attention to one sentence and I believe this one sentence is one of thousands in the Bible that just ought to absolutely stop us dead in our tracks. That when you read this sentence, it ought to make your mind begin to long to get inside of what is being communicated in just so few words that all of the, all of the potential that lies in this sentence, all of the possibility that lies in this sentence, all of the missed opportunities for us that lies in this sentence. If we could just get 
this. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus said, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us, Lord, to put away all the things that seek to distract us in this moment. Help us to not stand before this passage of Scripture in pride and arrogance. Lord, help us not to approach this time that we have as something that we do every week because it's part of our life or it's a habit or... But God, will you just halt us in the reality of what you said? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What does that mean? I was just... When you memorize Scripture, which I know all of you do, when you do that, I mean, we all have different ways of doing that. When I memorize Scripture, I memorize Scripture one word at a time. I will just walk around all day. If I was memorizing this passage of Scripture, I mean, I could memorize it in five minutes, but I wouldn't do that. I'd walk around all day and I'd think, do not fear. And one day would be, do not fear. The next day would be, little flock. And all day I'd think about little flock. And then the next day I would think about, it's your father's. It's your father's. Good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's how I would memorize it. And that's what I want us to do this morning. I just want us to look at these words and ask ourselves, what is Jesus Christ, the Son of God who left heaven to dwell with men on earth to die on a cross, what is He communicating here to you and me? And is it possible that maybe we can get distracted enough to miss this if we're not careful? So let's just look at this first part. Do not fear. So the first question we should ask is, well, what kind of fear? Because we know the Bible has a lot to say about fear, different kinds of fear. There's good fear. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So we know that's a good fear. We want to have that fear. Then there's also this natural fear. There's this fear that is, is a natural fear that God gives us for self-preservation. In other words, if, if you're at the zoo and suddenly, you know, the cage falls down around the lion, you should be afraid. That's a good fear. You shouldn't think, well, well, I'm not afraid of that. That's not, that's how you become lunch. That's not good. And even here in the book of Luke, we see this fear, especially centered around the events of the birth of Christ, because we see in Luke 1, in chapter 1, verse 13, the angel is announcing the birth of John the Baptist, and the angel shows up and says, do not fear. Why? Because when some supernatural being appears out of nowhere, you want to run. It's scary. So the angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, don't be afraid. 
Why? Because our natural response in certain situations is to be afraid. Then there's the call to Christians to be fearless, to live in a fearless manner. And Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. That there's this good fear, there's this natural fear, there's this fearlessness that we're supposed to live with. In other words, think about what Jesus says uh, in Luke chapter 12 earlier in verse 4. He says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. Don't fear that, but I will show you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the power to cast into hell. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that death is not the worst outcome. Hell is. And so there's a lot of different kinds of fear. But Jesus comes along and says, Do not fear, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What kind of fear is He referring to? Well, if you look at the context around this passage of Scripture, you'll be able to see clearly that earlier, right there in verse 22, the same chapter, Jesus said to His disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on. So Jesus is sort of framing this discussion. He comes down in verse 29 and finishes this up. He says, Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have any anxious thoughts or have an anxious mind that all these things the nations in the world seek after, for your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. So the context of this statement, do not fear, is around anxiety. It's around this doubt that wants to creep into our minds. This fear, if you will, that maybe God is not who He says He is in the Bible. Or maybe God is who we make Him to be in our mind. Or maybe, maybe God's not going to provide for what I need. Or maybe God's not going to be there for me because I haven't done this or that. Or maybe... Maybe, maybe God's just not real. Maybe all that, maybe I've just bought into a lie. Maybe I've just made all this up. Maybe I've just got this whole thing wrong. Maybe there's been a time where you've pictured yourself. Now, you don't say this because it's your own little secret, because it's kind of embarrassing, but you've actually, in your mind, Pictured yourself, you believe you're saved, you're born again, but you've pictured yourself dying and then realizing that you were wrong about the whole thing. That's the fear that Jesus is talking about. That's the fear that He's saying, you, no, no, don't fear. This isn't, this isn't stress management. This is stress elimination. He's saying, do not fear in the sense that to have Jesus is to have access to peace. The opposite of this fear is peace. And Jesus is saying, if you have me, you have access to peace. There's going to be times in your life where you're not going to be peaceful, but you have access to peace in me. 
That when you get away from me, when you get distracted from me, when you get yourself into situations and places and involved with people you ought not be, you're not going to have peace. But as long as you are in me, as long as you are mine, you always have access to peace. Therefore, do not be afraid. Because God is a God of peace. Is He not? Is He not the Prince of Peace? The Bible says in Romans chapter 15, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He's a God of peace. So if He's your God, peace is always there available for you. That's who He is. Notice on the front of your uh, worship guide today, the passage of Scripture that's there. From Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So when he says do not fear, he doesn't have in mind that here we would be this morning, all gathered in here, in the Christmas spirit, the way we do the Christmas spirit, wondering, filled with anxiousness about, is God going to take care of me? Is He going to be there for me? Is He going to provide questioning His goodness? Not understanding things? When, when bad things happen to us, when harsh situations come, we wonder, is God upset with us? Is He mad? Is He punishing me? You see, when you think that, when you think, God, are you punishing me? I mean, if I said raise your hand, if you have, we've all thought that. That is a slam against his character. God, are you punishing me for this? No, he's not. He may be lovingly chastening you, but he, he's not, he gets no delight in punishing. It, it's not this, oh, you, you do something, you step out of line, so I'm going to come down on you. No. But that's what we think. That's where, what we make Him into. And it causes us to well up with fear. There are people in this room, probably right now, and you struggle just unceasingly with your salvation. It's up and it's down. It's you, you, get, you come in here, you listen to a sermon, you start thinking, I don't know, am I saved? How do you know if you're saved? Maybe I'm not saved. I, did I know when I did this? Did I, what, did, I, oh, did I do everything right? Did I do every? Then you convince yourself, no, I think I am. Or someone says something to you and you feel better. Okay, and then you go on and then you're right back in the same boat again. Let me ask you a question. People say things to you like, well, you know, it's, it's normal to go through these. Is that peace? Is there any peace in doubting your salvation? None. Zero. There's no peace in that. Do you think God designed this so that we would just kind of wonder? Or is there assurance? Can you know that you know that you know? Yes. So if you're doubting, if you're wondering, if you're struggling, God says, listen. Do not fear. Solve this problem. Figure this thing out. 
But don't doubt my character. Do not fear. Then he says, little flock. Man, let's just think about this for a minute. Why little flock? First of all, by flock, we're addressed as sheep. We know that God has uh, always presented himself as a shepherd. Isaiah 40 says he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arm. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with the young. So throughout Scripture, we see God presenting himself as a shepherd and us as sheep. Not the most wonderful, glorious thing to be seen as in Scripture. Sheep are dumb and half blind and always uh, do the wrong thing and get themselves in all sorts of trouble. But here's the notice. It's little flock. You know what? We're defenseless. Sheep have no defense. Sheep are at the mercy of their surroundings if they don't have a shepherd. And so he says, don't fear in one moment. He's saying, don't fear. And in the next moment, he says, little flock. Wait a minute. If we're a little flock, shouldn't we be afraid? I mean, shouldn't that just in itself make us filled with fear? We're not just a flock, we're a little flock. We're, we're, we're not dependent on our own ability. We don't have any ability. God's not impressed with us. He's not impressed with what we bring. Our strength is not in who we are. It's in who we belong to. It's in who's watching over us. So that's how God can come in one moment and say, Do not fear, little flock. You see, sometimes... As a flock, we, we tend to, to think of ourselves as more than, than we are. That, that somehow God needs us to sort of do things in the flock and make sure about the flock. And no, it's His flock. He's the shepherd. We're little. We're a little flock. But we don't need to be afraid. For it is your Father's good pleasure. Let's just think about this for a second. You know, God doesn't address Himself as... He doesn't say it's your Master's good pleasure. He doesn't say it's your Judge's good pleasure. Now, we oftentimes think of Him this way, but that's not how He presents Himself. Of all the ways that He chose to reveal Himself to us, He chose Father, the perfect Father. Now, that creates a lot of problems for some of us. Because the fact that He chose Father, for example, can cause some of us to stumble because we then see Him through the lens of our earthly Father. That see, we, we begin to see God through the lens of the Father we never could be good enough for. The Father who, no matter how hard we tried, was never good enough. You see, fathers, we have a big problem with that. We have a big problem with how we can handle the love that we have for our sons in particular. You see, our sons don't understand that we love them so much that we want them to be better than we are. We want them to go further than we've gone. So we want the best for them so bad, but it seems to the son, it seems to the children that they can't win. And so they come home and they're like, look at what I've done. And it's not that we're not glad about what they've done, but we we want the best for them. 
And what happens, it breaks us down as sons. And we just say, well, why try? If I can never be good enough, if I can never, if I can never meet the grade, if I can never live up, I can never be good enough. I can't be perfect, Dad. See, that's not the father that he is. Let me, let me ask you a question. Has it ever occurred to you that, for example, in the Old Testament, God comes to His people, they're enslaved in Egypt, He leads them out of slavery, He parts the Red Sea, He kills their enemies, He provides for them through supernatural means, He takes care of all their needs, brings them into freedom, He does all of that, and then after all of that, then He gives them the Ten Commandments and says, now, here's not a list of rules, here's how you should live. Now, think about that for a minute. Why is it that we treat God as if, see, in the beginning, this is how we treat God, that He came to His people enslaved in Egypt, and He said, now here's the rules, if you follow them, I'll lead you out. He let them out with no rules. Just love. He provided all they... What had they done? How, how did they deserve anything at that point? Think about this. Think about what had they done to deserve freedom. Nothing. They were just some pitiful band of people who were just, you know, a little flock who was just useless and defenseless and couldn't and God loved them and showed them and revealed himself to them and freed them and did all without ever saying now do this this and this and then after he had done that then he said now you want to live right you want to you want to find joy and peace on here this is how you do it the right way that's the perfect father now how do we how do we know that Father? How do we see who that Father is? Well, how about John chapter 14, verse 8 and 9, where Philip says to Jesus, he says, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be for, sufficient for us. If, if you show us the Father, we'll understand. We'll be able to see. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, the Father, you want to see the Father? He's revealed in Christ. That's how you see the Father. You look at Jesus. You look at the one who says, for it's your Father's good pleasure. If you want to know what He's like, just look at me. I am the expression of the perfect Father. For it is your Father's what? Good pleasure. This is just amazing. It's your Father's good pleasure. This... This word, good pleasure, this is one word in the original text. And this, it's a, a rarely used word in the New Testament. But in the Gospels, it only occurs five times. And this is what is so amazing about this phrase, good pleasure. Is that in all the times that this occurs in the Gospel, it only occurs in two other settings. It occurs at the baptism of Jesus... When the Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Same word. The other time it's used is on the Mount of Transfiguration. And again, 
The Father says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Jesus said, for it is your, our Father's good pleasure. This word is associated with the way God the Father speaks about His delight and joy in His Son. Are you with me? Now, that's not an accident that that word is here. That God's trying to communicate something, especially to us. When He makes this statement, His disciples are around Him, three of whom heard God the Father used this word on the Mount of Transfiguration. In other words, God uses a word that He communicates His love and adoration to His own Son. For example, think about this. In John chapter 17, verse 23, Jesus is praying for all believers and He says that they may be made perfect in one and that they that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So when the Bible says that it's your father's good pleasure, what the Bible's communicating to you and me is that Jesus is expressing the way my heavenly father loves me. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. God delights in expressing his love in that way with that exact terminology to you and to me. That's hard to comprehend. That is hard for me to comprehend. It is hard for me to think, Tony, though I know me, I know my thoughts, I know my sin, I know who I am, to think that it is my Father's good pleasure that He would have delight like that in me. It's that level of delight to do these things for me and through me and... That's unbelievable. But yet we still find it in us to get distracted from the true, the true essence of what this gift is in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus reveals the Father, but the Father was always that way. It wasn't like God just got... God changed when Jesus came that God the Father suddenly became loving and good. God the Father was always loving and good. In the Old Testament, in Jeremiah 32, the Bible says in verse 40, God says, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, His people. I will not turn that... I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. And listen to what he says. God says, yes, I will rejoice over them to do good and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. God the Father says this in the book of Jeremiah. Jesus comes to just be the living representation of the loving God that He always was. This is not something new. It's just new in the sense that now it's here. Now it's among us. Now it's been accomplished. Now He's within us. But this God has always been good. Look. The next part of this passage. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give. I think this is a part we really struggle with. Notice he doesn't say it's your Father's good pleasure for you to earn or for you to achieve or for you to accomplish. But it's to give. 
It's just to give. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. God says, My people have committed two sins, for they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You see what this passage of Scripture is saying? It's saying that legalism and idolatry are horrible. It's saying that what these people were doing that was evil is, is that they, they needed water. And so they would get their shovels out and they would dig their holes, these cisterns in the ground to hold rainwater so that they could provide for themselves, so that they would have water. And God's saying what's so evil about that is that the whole time they're digging, the fountain of everlasting living water is right there. All they have to do is drink from it. It's available. It's there. But we dig because we think we have to. We dig because we don't trust. We dig because we doubt. See, we, we think that there's some condition to this. Jesus said, listen, it's your fathers, your personally, you today, whoever you are, whatever circumstance or situation you're in, no matter how you view yourself, that doesn't matter. The Bible says it's your fathers. Good, amazing, unbelievable pleasure. To give, to just freely give. That's his pleasure. Just give. He's not, he's not coming before you and saying, listen, if, if you don't do all these things, you're, no. He's saying, stop digging and start drinking. It's right there. Don't get tangled up in, in all the distractions of Christmas. Don't, don't lose your way in all the hustle and the bustle and stop and breathe for a second. And realize it's your Father's good pleasure to give freely, just to give. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also? In other words, together. How shall he with him, them together, freely give us all things? In other words, did not the cross of Christ prove is that not proof enough that He will give all things? If He will give the one thing, the most important thing, if He'll pay the highest price, then what would make us think He won't give these other things? See, because we've got to stop seeing God as something He does not present Himself to be. We've got to take Christmas and come back to the Scripture and go, now wait a minute. If we unwrap this gift, if we take this Jesus and we actually look at Him and listen to Him and think about Him and ponder His greatness and His glory and all that He's accomplished, things begin to change. Maybe not around us, but within us. This is who God is. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To just give you the kingdom. I mean, is there any room in this statement? Is there anything left sort of undone to where you could sort of cram anything else in there? I mean, is there some word you'd rather have there than the kingdom? Is there something maybe that you had hoped would, would sort of be at the end of this that would be better maybe than the kingdom? No way. No way. There's nothing better than this. You see... Here's what this absolutely solidifies in my heart. When I think about what this sentence says, I have to stop 
repent and acknowledge that my circumstances have nothing to do with Jesus Christ and His promises. They have nothing to do with it. Nothing. In other words, it's not that life's not hard. It's not that things aren't painful. It's not that we don't go through these difficult seasons. That's not what it is. But what it is, is that in the midst of all that, here's what he says. He's going to give the kingdom. It's his pleasure to give the kingdom. You know, the past couple of weeks have been tough. It's been crazy. And, and things just keep happening, you know, to remind me that I just keep thinking, you know, what am I doing? Where am I? What's happening around me? Wednesday, this past Wednesday, uh, I was talking to a couple over in the youth building and I noticed that they had a camera in their hand. Now, when, when you see, you know, they're 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 picking up their kids. So when you see it's if I see my daughter with a camera, that's just normal. That's how that goes. But when I see them with a camera, I'm thinking, why do you have a camera? And they said, well, today is our anniversary. We've been married 20 years. And in that instant, it hit me. I missed my anniversary. My anniversary was November 21st. I didn't even know it. My wife missed our anniversary. Now, you don't think miracles still happen? I went home. I'm like, honey. Guess what? And she said, we forgot our anniversary. I'm like, how did you know that? She said, I thought of it today. She's always a step ahead of me. Now, here, here's my point in all that. If, if my wife forgets her anniversary for three weeks, we've been married for 18 years, she's never forgot it. Man, you're in a tough season of life. We sat down at the kitchen table and we just looked at each other and we started thinking, well, what were we doing on our anniversary? I mean, how, how did we miss it? She said, well, I thought about that. She said, we were at my dad's wake that night. I said, yeah. See, it's tough sometimes. I tell you that to just tell you that, you know what? You're not alone. If you're here this morning and you're struggling, you're not alone. But, but I want you to understand that even, even as we sat there and just kind of shook our head in bewilderment at what is going on around us, this promise is still true. He delights. It's His good pleasure to give me the kingdom. See, that's not based on my circumstances. And so the question begs to be answered, well, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 14, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Contrary to what we might think the kingdom is at Christmas time. 
But it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, the kingdom is the gift of the King Himself in our lives. That's what the kingdom is. The kingdom is now and the kingdom is forever. And the kingdom is the King incarnate, given to us, living within us. That's what the kingdom is. The kingdom is not a story about a king. It is the king. There's a big difference between a story about a king and the king. So we don't celebrate a story. We celebrate a king. A gift unopened remains a mystery. You see... The coming of the Holy Spirit, this gift is no longer a mystery. His goodness is forever mysterious and His love is forever just astonishing. And the things that He does and the way that He is is just forever new, day after day after day. But the King is no longer a mystery in salvation. But sometimes we can get so distracted that fear not, little flock. We can get all tensed up and in our problems and we can get all riled up in what we need to do to fix things and to straighten things out and anxious. And Jesus just comes along. He says, you know what? Don't fear. Yes, you're a little flock. But, but your Father, your Father, my Dad, Not the one who walked out on me when I was eight years old. Not your dad, but the perfect heavenly father. That father, he delights, he finds great pleasure to give you and me the kingdom. Are we living the kingdom life? Are we free from fear? Do we live as if we have access to peace? You know how to answer these questions? It's to ask yourself some difficult questions. What determines whether you have a good day or a bad day? What do you turn to in crisis? Do you rally up inside? Do you come up with you, muster up the will to fight and to press on and to lead? Or do you, or do you just fall in humility like a little flock. And say, Father, I I can't solve this problem. But I don't need to. Because it's your good pleasure to give me the kingdom. See, that's to me the essence of Christmas. That our God proved His love in such a way that to some little flock in some little church on some little road that He would say, what are you anxious about? I've got this. You can trust me. I'm your Father. And I show my love to you the way I showed it to my Son, the One whom you worship.
I love you like I love my son. And I've given you the kingdom. Now some of you here this morning doesn't apply because you are apart from peace. And I don't know why you have chosen to come to church this morning if someone's invited you or if you come every single Sunday. I don't know. But I know this, that God is a God of peace. And if there's anxiety in your heart, if you can't seem to find peace in your salvation, you can't seem to... Will you just be honest before God this morning? You're not going to get there in your own battle, in your own fight. It's not about you getting everything right or getting all your things in your life ordered up. No. Jesus said, abide in my word and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. To live in the kingdom is to be free. Free. Freedom is not the ability to do whatever we want to do. That's not freedom. See, we have that apart from Christ. Freedom. Freedom is the ability to do what we ought to do. Isn't that what happens to us when we become Christians? So suddenly things change. We have new desires and new hearts and new... And suddenly we have the freedom to do what's good and what's right. Whereas before we were just a slave. But in that same passage of Scripture where Jesus says that if you abide in my word, you'll know the truth and you'll be set free. In that same passage a few Scriptures later, He says those who sin, who live habitually in sin, they're slaves to that sin. And He says, slaves will not remain in my house. That eventually, eventually, you'll lose the battle. You can't sit in church forever lost. But you know what He says after that? Jesus says, but a son remains forever in the kingdom. Would you stand and bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, this morning we acknowledge that there is work that you desire to do in every one of our hearts. Father, we just pause in humility before your statement not to fear little flock. For our Heavenly Father finds good pleasure in giving us the kingdom. Lord, we thank You. We thank You, Father, for what You have done. We thank You, Lord, for what we can learn this morning about You and Your character and who You are, God. And we repent before You as Your sons and daughters for approaching You as if You were not a good father. To turn your love into some competition or some legalistic achievement, Lord. We repent for that. God, we repent this morning for convincing ourselves that our circumstances reveal the way you feel about us, the way you love us. Lord, we repent for all that we try to push upon you, Lord, and we ask that only your word would 
reveal to us the truth about you and that we would be set free, Lord. Father, undoubtedly there are those here this morning who need to be set free. Father, I pray that you would show them right now that there's no other way but you. That only sons and only daughters remain forever. Oh God, will you save them today? Lord, will you heal the brokenhearted? Will you set the captives free from sin and addiction and pain and hurting, Lord? Will you give us, Father, give us, Lord, what we need to bring you glory in wherever we find ourselves today. Because, God, you're good regardless. You are good. So, Lord, we ask that you would do now what only you could do. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar is open.